0: Have your Bibles. We are continuing our study through the book of 2 Timothy. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Raise it up high and we'll get you a Bible. Second Timothy chapter two verses fourteen through twenty-six this morning. Apostle Paul writes, starting in verse 14, "...remind them of these things, charting them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer." Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and then they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The title of my study this morning is Pursuing the Right Things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning, to open up your word, knowing, Lord God, it's your desire to speak to our hearts. Thank you for how powerful you are, God, and how your word does change our lives and moves in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that we would be open to receive all that you have for us today. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us this morning that does not have a relationship with you. They don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven or to be born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today. Thank you for this time we committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray. I found a story about a staunch atheist who was taking a walk through the woods and said to himself, what majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals. And as he continued walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes. Turning to look, he sees a seven-foot-high grizzly bear charging towards him. So he runs as fast as he could up the path, looking over his shoulder. He saw that the bear was closing in on him. His heart is pumping frantically. He's trying to run even faster. He tripped, he falls in the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but saw the bear raising his paw, just ready to take a swipe at him. At that instant, the atheist cried out, Oh, my God! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Suddenly, this bright light shone upon the man, and a voice came out of the sky saying, You deny my existence for all these years? Teach others that I don't exist, and even credit creation to some cosmic accident? Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament now? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light. Well, it would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now, but perhaps you can make the bear a Christian. Very well, said the voice. The light went out and the sounds of the forest resumed. And the bear lowered his paw, bowed his head and spoke, Lord, Lord, Bless this food, which I'm about to receive, which I'm truly thankful for. Amen. We are all pursuing something in life. Some people pursue a career. Some pursue uh, an education. Some a position or status. Some fame. Some riches. Some, some a house, a car, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Paul here tells us, and young Pastor Timothy, to pursue righteousness Faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. See, he's encouraging Timothy and pastoring the church to have the, the right heart. And he's given us examples of how to do that, how to be encouraged, how to pursue the right things. And, and, he, and so far we've seen that we're in a battle and we need to be good soldiers, you know, uh, fit for, for, for the battle, not getting tangled up with the things of the world. We've also read that we were to stay in shape as an athlete, stay disciplined in God's Word, obeying it, staying, staying true to it. We've also told to do the work of a farmer, sharing the Word, planting the seed, seeing what God does with it. But now Paul continues and he gives us three more descriptions of our walks with the Lord and he likens it to, number one, a worker, number two, a vessel, and number three, a servant. These are our three points this morning if you're taking notes. We begin with a worker. Look at verses 14 and 15. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A worker for the Lord, Paul says, and he starts out by calling On our memory. Remember, looked at our memory last time. To remember, you know, Jesus is risen from the dead. Paul talks about reminding us these things. He says, I want to remind you, Timothy. He says, charge them before the Lord not to be arguing and bickering all the time with each other. It does no good and it just bugs everyone who has to listen to it, basically. Apparently there's some arguing going on within the church body and, and things weren't getting done. It reminds me the other day when I was in the grocery store. And I uh, went to the produce section there, and and I'm not, noticing the produce is, like, empty. They're like, they're, there's nothing on the shelf. There's a few things, but I'm thinking, what is going on? And I see over in the corner, there's a cartload full of boxes of produce, and there's a produce guy, and there's, like, two or three other store managers. And they're all talking to this guy, and, you know, this has got to be done. I'm thinking, just put the stuff on the shelf. I mean, quit arguing. I, I, I need I need my lettuce, you know. And, 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 and But, see... That's what was going on. I think maybe the same thing was going on in this church. Timothy is, is spending so much time trying to stop the arguing and the bickering. And, 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 and Paul says, listen, you know, you need to stop. You need to do what God's called you to do. Kind of reminds me of the story about D.L. Moody who was attending a conference in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis on mass evangelism. And he asked his song leader, uh, Ira Sankey, to meet him at 6 o'clock one evening at a certain street corner. When Sankey arrived, Mr. Moody asked him to stand on a box and to sing. And, and once a crowd had gathered, Moody then spoke briefly and then invited the people to follow him to the nearby convention hall. And soon the auditorium was filled with spiritually hungry people. And the great evangelist preached the gospel to them. Well, then the, the conference delegate you know, the, the convention delegates began to arrive and, and Moody stopped preaching and said, now we must close as the brethren of the conference wish to come and discuss the topic, how to reach the masses. I would say it's a pretty good illustration on the difference between talking about something and actually doing, going out and doing it. Paul is saying, listen, don't get all involved in, in, in arguing and useless arguments and words of no profit. It's only going to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Basically, stay away from word wars. They only cause trouble. What are word wars? Well, arguing and bickering over things that really don't matter. Getting all worked up over issues. I think one issue that we often see arguments over in the church is baptism. You know, fully immersed, fully immersion versus being sprinkled. You know, what is that? Well, this is the way we do it. Well, this is the way we do it. What is baptism? It's an outward sign of an inward work. It's a mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. It's a command from Jesus. Now, why do we here at Calvary do full immersion? Why do we completely dunk you under the water? It's symbolism. Going under water to symbolize death to the old man, rising up out of the water and walking in that newness of life. But I tell you this, if I were in a third world country and had no clean water whatsoever, and, uh, and, you know, that I would want to get into. I would have no problem whatsoever getting a, a bottle of pure, clean water and pouring it over someone's head. No problem. Why? Because it's a hard issue. You're saying in front of all these witnesses that you're following Christ. Now, if you want to argue, sprinkled or dunked, save it for the donuts, okay? It, it's not what we do in church. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that in church, we start to major on the minors and we get sidetracked on side issues and non-essentials. Issues that are not going to build anybody up, but only cause strife and division. Paul says there's no profit in doing that. Rather, he says in verse 15, as a worker, this is what you need to do. He says, be diligent to present yourself for proof to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word diligent there means an eagerness, a priority. Being diligent also implies discipline and a steadiness and a readiness. Well, what are we to be diligent in? Rightly dividing the word of truth. That phrase rightly dividing there literally means to cut straight. Now, some think that This worker that Paul is describing here was a stonemason, and that the stonemason, uh, is cutting the stone straight so that, that it can stack properly, and when to put the blocks together as it builds the wall, so it's gonna be plump. Some think he's referring to, uh, those that would, uh, road cutters. So the Romans were famous for, for cutting their roads, and he's saying, well, you gotta make the road straight. The path you're on has gotta be cut straight. But I think what fits the best, and would seem to fit with the Apostle Paul, would be tent making, because that's what Paul did. He was a, a tent maker. You know, when you'd, you'd, you you know, cut the skins from the animals to sew them together to make the tent, you'd have to cut straight. I mean, you wouldn't want it all, all wiggly like that, because you want it to fit properly together. He says, divide it properly. What this means is that as we study the Word of God, we have to be careful that we do not read into the Bible what we want it to say. Understand that? Because that's going to be easy to do. When we look to the Scriptures, we must come to them with a reverence and respect and a commitment to the fact that the Bible is divinely inspired without error. The Bible is indeed the Word of God, and that's the final authority. And we need to understand that it's not what I wanted to say, or what I want to read in this passage, but what does the Bible say? In fact, Peter tells us in 2 Peter one twenty, knowing this verse that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And no one's going to say, well, I alone have this real understanding of this verse. It's a private interpretation. I'll sell it to you for $29.95. But here it is. Listen, I love hearing teachings and reading commentaries because it's wonderful to see how regarding basic truths of the faith, godly men always line up in agreement. You see, our goal is a big $5 word. It's called exegesis. It means the taking out of the text and discovering the meaning of the text. Isegesis is reading into the Bible what you want it to say. And that happens quite often as people take verses out of context and they misinterpret the Bible and then misinterpreting it, then they misapply it in their lives. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9, Paul says, It's better to marry than to burn. Now, some foolish guys out there say, well, if you're not married, then you're going to burn in hell. That's what it says. there. That's crazy. And then you could probably teach that in some churches, and 90% of the people would probably walk out of there believing it. Because so many people, they don't even read their Bibles. They don't even come to church with their Bibles. See, as a pastor, I want you to come to church with God's Word. Open up on your lap and follow along with us and study together in the context of each chapter and each verse as we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter. See, Paul wasn't talking about burning in hell if you're not married. He's talking about burning in lust. It's better to get married than burn in lust. If you're not married, that doesn't mean you're going to burn in hell. Listen, before you can properly apply the Scriptures to your life, you have to start with a proper interpretation, the proper understanding. That's why, uh, you know, you, you got to take into consideration the historical context, the, the grammatical context, what's being said there. You study the grammar, you study the history, you study the background. Then you have that verse in context. You know, I like to call it 20-20 vision. You study 20 verses before and 20 verses after and you understand what's being said there. So, You know, when you study in context, it's not that hard to do. It's been said many times before, when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. God's Word makes plain sense many times, many places. And once you understand the verse, apply it. But if you take it out of context, then you have a pretext, and you can make it say whatever you want it to say. And and sadly, there's so many teachers out there who don't know their Bibles, and they're teaching so many unscriptural things. Listen, the pastor's job is to preach the Word. It's not my job to preach opinions. It's not my job to preach politics. Not even to preach morality. It's my job to teach and preach the Word, to to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing less, nothing more. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just cut it straight. Find out what it means. Tell the people what it means. And then apply it in a way that's consistent with the true meaning of the text. Now remember... The primary application Paul is writing this in is to a pastor. See, as a pastor, your goal should be in handling the Word of God, that you gain the approval of God. Paul says to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. It's a story I found of a young boy in Austria giving his first violin recital. And he had studied for years under the guidance of one of the greatest masters of all of Europe. The boy had tremendous talent. He had learned his lessons well. Following each piece, the the crowd cheered loudly. He was one of the the finest young performers they had ever had the pleasure of listening to. And yet the boy seemed to to not notice their expressions of approval. And when he was done, he got a standing ovation and the crowd was cheering encore and and the boy sat there expressionless. Only looking up at the second balcony there we saw an old man. The master teacher then finally nodded Then the boy smiled. See, he was looking for the approval of his master. Paul was telling Timothy that he wasn't to regard the job of being a pastor as a popularity contest, but instead as a call to faithfulness to God. Sadly, many churches today have performers instead of ministers, and instead of teaching through God's Word, they sugarcoat the truth and avoid controversial topics. But listen, they're all going to have to stand before God one day. And give an account for what they've done that's why James tells us in James 3: one my brethren let many of you let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment see so I'm not going to have to stand before you on Judgment day and have you read me the right act because of the things that I taught or the way that I preach and, and oh, I don't like the way that you preach I don't like to do this and but I am going to have to answer to God I am going to have to give an account to him for the things that I've taught and the way in which I ministered to guess what so will you So will each one of us. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we getting God's approval on the way that we are living? Or will we get His disapproval? Are we living our lives in such a way that we're pleasing to the Lord? Or would you be embarrassed or ashamed if the Lord came back for us right now? I think about, you know, you guys that are in construction, maybe you've been in construction, you know that in most places in, in the city of Springfield, when you want to add on an addition or build something, you need to get a building permit. And you have to have your work inspected by a building inspector to make sure you've done everything up to code. You want to make sure you did it right because time is money, and if you have to have the inspector come out again after, after you know, doing the work, then it's going to cost you. Listen, Paul in 1 Corinthians Uh, Let me say this, for the moment you begin to witness for Christ, all your service, all your labor for Him, your attitude, your work of Christ, your motives behind Him, it's going to be inspected. We have an inspector. And in 1 Corinthians 3.12, Paul calls it the judgment of the wood, hay, and stubble versus gold, silver, and precious stones. So we again, we need to ask ourselves, what work are we doing for the Lord? What sort of reward will you and I receive at that beam of seat, at that reward ceremony, as we stand before the Lord? What crown are you going to receive that you may be able to lay it before the feet of Jesus? Oh, here, Lord. Here's my crown. I just want to lay it at your feet. Oh, Here's my crown, Lord. I just want to put it right there. Man, I want to have so much to give the Lord. But I think there's going to be a lot of ministers come that day when we stand before God as believers to receive our rewards. And many ministers are going to be ashamed, embarrassed. And their works are all going to be burned up because they did not rightly divide the Word of God. look at verse 16, Paul goes on, he says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Boy, that's a a good description of American television every evening, right? Idle babblings, ungodliness. He goes on and gives as an example, verse 17 and 18. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now, we've already met Hymenius in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul stated that he had to excommunicate him and, and his friend Alexander. Well, now Hymenius has a new sidekick, Philetus. And now Phil and Hyme, they they're, they're working on spreading a disease, an infection, a false teaching. Paul calls it a cancer, but literally it's gangrene. Not as deadly as cancer, but a very repulsive flesh-eating disease. That's the picture that Paul is painting of these false teachers and their message. It's green. It's spreading like cancer and it eats away at sound doctrine and it's damaging the people. So what were they spreading? That the resurrection is already past. See, they were denying one of the most crucial and essential beliefs of the Christian faith, namely the physical resurrection of the body. The promise of a new resurrected body. They were saying, well, it's already past at your at when you've baptized you receive that new body that's the body you, you, you're going to be stuck with man wouldn't that be a bummer uh it would be a bummer for me i mean I, I am looking forward to a new body you know and i know from the looks of you you guys are looking forward to a new body as well <laughs> we all are okay <laughs> well be encouraged we're going to get it okay Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. We're told in Romans 8, 23, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So we're going to get it and we're groaning for it. We're waiting for it. It's going to happen, praise God. But but Jaime and Phil, man, they're spreading this lie that it's not going to happen. You know, I think of how many disillusioned people there are out there and, and, and that are so confused about the ways of God all because some teacher got behind a pulpit that didn't know the Word of God and didn't rightly divide the Word of God and instead taught some weird doctrine that totally messed people up. And so these, these, these people that come in, that they, they don't receive sound teaching, they don't receive sound doctrine, and as a result, they become bitter towards God Peter towards the church and have left Christ and it's overthrown their faith because the word wasn't properly divided. Paul is saying these guys, they're they're overthrowing the faith of son. Listen, I, I would not want to stand before God ashamed because I caused people to stray away from the things that I taught. So important we understand how to handle the word of truth. That's why... Calvary Chapel, Springfield, you're going to find we're committed going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I mean, I encourage you to do the same thing in your devotional life. You know, stay in God's Word. Now, in contrast to those being overthrown, Paul says, look at verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Yes, God knows those who are His. That's God's part. That's the divine part. Your part, our part, depart from iniquity. That's our responsibility. Now, Paul here is actually quoting from the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 5. It is the story of when Korah led the rebellion against Moses. And Moses is standing there, and he says, The Lord knows those who are his. And there is this separation, if you remember, in the story there. And, and Moses says, Okay, those that are on Korah's side, stand over there. And whoever's on, on, with me, stand with me on this side. And remember that those on Korah's side, you know, they began to feel the earth move under their feet. They felt the sky tumbling down, tumbling down. And, and, and uh, Korah and the gang were swallowed up by the earth. Moses says, anybody else want to rebel? You know, no, I'm good, thanks. I mean, could you imagine if that happened today? You know, a few rebels in the church and taking them outside on the grass and the grass opening up and swallowing them and closing it up again. whoa. You see, number 16 is really an appropriate parallel. Everyone who names the name of Christ, come over to this side. Come over here. You name the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Depart from that other side. The other side is just going to swallow you up. It's just going to destroy you. Come over here. This brings us to our second picture here, and that is of a vessel. Number 2, look at verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver... But also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I, I, I like this the image here. Is that of a vessel? In biblical days, people didn't have proper plumbing, but they, but they did have pots, and those pots were used for all sorts of different purposes. Certain pots were set aside for, for drinking water and for food, while others were used to collect the dirty water and, and garbage and, and refuge. I mean, you wouldn't want to confuse the two vessels, and, and you certainly wouldn't want to mix their uses. Paul here tells Timothy to, to keep himself pure. Because once that, that vessel was used for refuse, man, it would be a vessel unto dishonor. I mean, it's not fit to be used for higher uses. See, Paul is, is, is making the point here that, that, that we need to keep ourselves pure. We need to keep ourselves in that place where our Master can use us, in that place of usability. And that involves having that devotion, spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer, and obeying God's Word. He says, that, but in a great house, he says, uh, there are vessels of gold and silver, that word for great house refers to the church. He says, within the church, you're going to find a lot of different containers. Some are beautiful vases. They're ready to be served, serving the Lord, and they're being used by the Lord. And others, they're, they're, they're garbage cans. They're just feeding themselves things during the week, and they're not in a place where God can use them. Paul says, separate yourself from those who pollute, cause problems in the body, or you'll end up a garbage can yourself rather than a beautiful vase. Look at verse 22, 23. He says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Here's that, that word pursue again. It's back down to pursuing the right things. That word pursue means to to, swiftly, to run swiftly, to catch in a hostile manner. You know, like you see in those videos, a lion you know, running after an impala. You know, not the car, but an animal. It was running after it and, and you know, jumping on it. And, and in a hostile manner, pursuing it, to, to gain it, to accomplish something, to attain it. All of us have things that we're pursuing in that way. And all of us have areas in our own lives that we need to put the same effort into running away from. See, because that's what Paul does here. He begins with things that we should run from. He says, flee also youthful lusts. Now let me say, first thing that we need to make note here is that these are not lusts reserved just for the youth. You're not going, well, you know, I don't need to hear this, but my teenager, he needs to hear this. Let's bring the youth upstairs so they can hear this. They may need to hear this, but this is for all of us. These are things that that might originate when we were young, in our youth, but can easily be carried over into our adult life uh, for all of us, if we're not careful. Now, most of the time when that verse is quoted, flee youthful lust, it's in the context of fleeing sensuality, fleeing the lust of sexual immorality. And I do believe it's important and appropriate to use it that way. And there are numerous verses in the Scripture that warn us of that very same thing. I think Joseph is a classic example when you come across this verse where he was there serving in Potiphar's home and Potiphar's wife started making sexual advances towards him and, and Joseph hightailed it out the back door and, and he lost his tunic in, in, in the process, but, but man, he fled. He fled. Sadly, men today are not fleeing and, and instead they fall into temptation and they fall into sin. Proverbs twenty or six twenty six tells us, for by means of a harlot a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and adulteresses will prey upon his precious life. He's reduced to nothing; his life was destroyed because he went down that path. Paul is saying, flee those situations, run for your life, otherwise it'll ruin your life. So it's a, it's fitting to apply that verse that way. But the term youthful lust, is much broader than this than just sexual temptation. In fact, the context would suggest that Paul had something entirely different in his mind when he wrote the words to Timothy. See, the the context has been about our interaction and our relationship with other people in the church, arguments going on over things that really don't matter, and Timothy's role as a pastor in dealing with them. And what I find interesting is, is New Testament scholar Gordon Fee translates youthful lust as headstrong passions of our youth. William Barclay relates it to the tendencies towards impatience, self-assertion, and contentions, and the love of arguing. Man, that does seem to fit with with the youth for today. I mean, those things happen, and it does seem to fit in the context here. Flee the urge to be impatient, that, that impatience that you have. Being always right, contentious, headstrong, argumentative. Things you do when you're young. But, you see, being impatient is not just a struggle for the young. I think we all struggle with being patient. I know I do. When I go to the grocery store, if there's more than two people on the line, I'm looking for the line with nobody in it. And if I find one, don't get behind me because they're going to be changing cashiers or something. It's going to be the longest line possible. But you're always looking for that, you know? If that web page doesn't load up in a nanosecond, I'm clicking to another web page. You know... And it really doesn't help us to watch TV either because every problem gets resolved within the the confines of one hour or or a movie about two hours. You know, the big plot thickens and it's all over, you know, within an hour. The problem is that's not real life. Life isn't a movie. Things take time to resolve. And we need to be patient and wait on the Lord to move and to seek Him for His help. I've been told that it takes seven miles to turn a cruise ship around that it just can't can't turn around like a speedboat. And often our lives can resemble that cruise ship. It's big and it's complicating and it's complicated. It takes a long time to change and get going in a different direction. And we need to be patient, not act on impulse. Because when we act on impulse, man, our problems can get so much bigger, so much larger. When we're impatient, we make rash decisions. We say mean things and, and people can get hurt. And it causes us to be harsh with people and abuse power and be overly assertive. where well, we're not listening to what someone else has to say, their point of view. Impatience also brings that sense of entitlement. I mean, look what we have today, this entitlement society, a generation of, of kids that are so used to getting what they want, when they want it, without having to wait for it. But now they expect to have it handed to them on a silver platter. They've been brought up how how special they are and, and now it shows in the workforce today. There's no longer an interest in, in getting a job at an entry-level position. Now, if, if you're going to hire me, I want I want the job that the guy that's been at the company for 10 years has. They expect the, the best pay. They think nothing of asking for vacations or days off whenever they want it, no matter how long they've been with the company. They say, oh man, that's a generation. But you know what? That's, it's 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 all of us. We all can fall into that, that mentality of entitlement. I mean, most of us were going up on the slogan, you know, you deserve a break today. You know, get up and get away, go to McDonald's, or have it your way, Burger King, man. You deserve it, have it your way. Another aspect of youthful lust is being contentious. Loving to argue. You know, you love the battle, the debate. You want to win at all costs. That's a sin of the youth. It's where dogmatism flourishes, fed by an inability to, to comprehend or tolerate someone else's point of view. Man, we see that all, all over college campuses today. Free speech is being attacked, kids no longer listening or respecting someone else who has a different point of view. Paul is exhorting Timothy to run away from those tendencies and the temptation to be overtaking in those things, impatience and self-assertion and contentions and the love of arguing. But here's what I love about God's Word. Whenever He tells us to run away from something, He tells us to run to something. It's a negative, negative, and a positive. It's fleeing from and pursuing something else. Paul says flee, but then he says pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I think many of us, we get the fleeing down. All right, okay, I'm, I'm fleeing. I'm going away from that. I stopped, drinking, stopped smoking, stopped drinking, stopped chewing, stop hanging around girls that do, you know. But, but now, now what do I do? You know? Is there uh, something else? No, just stay away from those things. Really? No, there's so much more. We need to, to, to do the positive. We need to pursue a godly life. Paul says, pursue faith, which is a combination of a belief plus trusting in the Lord. Pursue love, namely love for people, love for the saints and sinners, and the church and the lost. Pursue uh, peace, he says. You know, seeking peace can be controlling our actions. Controlling our words, making sure that you you make every effort to listen to the other side and not be so hasty to get your point across. Because sometimes things are more complex than they seem and sometimes there's more information that is missing. Proverbs 18.13 tells us, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame to him. Proverbs 18.13. Rather, seek peace and pursue peace. We do this by giving a soft answer when someone verbally attacks us. We do this by forgiving those who sin against us. We do this by avoiding speaking evil. Instead, we, we humble ourselves. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Listen, if you're going to flee, if you're going to run from sin, you need to run to righteousness. If you're going to turn away from that as ungodly, then you have to turn to that That is what is godly. There's a negative and there's a positive. Sometimes people are always fighting sin and fighting the lust of the flesh and, and fighting the attacks of the devil and they, they just can't get victory. Why? Because they've just turned away from the sin but they haven't turned towards anything else. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit means, means being in the presence of God. Listening, being in His Word and praying, filling your mind with what is right and what is true. I shared this last Wednesday a Bible study, the story of Dagon, the fish god, over in 1 Samuel chapter 5, having captured the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the the presence of the Lord, the Philistines decided they were going to put that in in their temple to their god, the fish god, Dagon. Well, when the Ark arrived in their temple, Dagon fell on his face before it. Well, the priests propped up their god, only to discover that Dagon Dagon had Falling down again, only this time breaking its head and its arm off, or its hands off. So realizing that this fish god couldn't dwell in the same place at the same time as the presence of the one true God, the Philistines packed up the Ark of the Covenant, put it on a wooden cart, and sent it back to Israel. You know what we can learn from that? That the key to having victory over the dagons, over the sin in our lives, is not to try to pull them down or push them over, but simply bring in the presence of God into our lives. Spend time in God's presence. And Dagon will, will naturally fall. The way to have victory over idols and over, over sins that set that themselves in our, our hearts is to daily bring the presence of God into our lives. And as we do, as we dig in God's Word, Dagon will fall. But if you ignore morning devotions and, and church attendance and Bible study, then, then it's going to stay strong in your life. Spend time with the Lord. Finally, he gives us our last picture of ourselves in verse 24. That is of number three, a servant. Look at verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now it's been said, the test of a true servant of the Lord is when you're treated like a servant. Everybody come across problems. Maybe you're in ministry and, and maybe the person overseeing you in ministry says, hey, I'd really like you to do it this way instead. Oh, but I've been serving this ministry for 10 years or 15 years. I know how to do it. Well, if you're really a servant of the Lord, then you're going to serve the Lord and kind of do it this way. I mean, a servant doesn't tell a master what he's going to do. The master tells a servant what they'd like to do. So my question is, how do we respond when we're treated as servants? How do we respond when we're told what to do? Paul here says, a servant must not quarrel. He says we must be gentle, we must be able to teach, be patient, be humble. The word gentle there means meekness, not not weakness, it means power under control. It's like the picture of of a stallion, you know, who's been willingly broken. It means a stallion that has yielded itself to the rider. Being broken does that, does it not? I mean, how many times have you been wrong? How many times have you said stupid things and done stupid things? And how many times have you been broken by the Holy Spirit? That the Lord still loves you and the Lord still uses you. And yet, as we yield one to another, that's how we become meek. That's how we have that gentle spirit. That's how we can serve one another. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. See, gentleness carries with it the idea of brokenness. That I, I'm broken before God. I can't hold someone else's sin over over them because God has forgiven me. God can forgive them, and I want to restore them gently. I know there are times that have been really hard on my, my, my boys when they're teenagers, and, and I have to remind myself listen, I was a teenager too. Okay? I think, okay, you better do that. I think, okay, I did that, and I did that, and I did that. Okay. And I need to, to be understanding. Maybe in the same way you've been really hard on your brother or sister in the Lord and and you forgot how God has dealt so graciously with you. A servant must be gentle. A servant must be able to teach. This goes back to rightly dividing the Word of God, understanding it and applying it correctly. He must be patient. Why? Because God has been so patient with you and me. And then finally, verse 25, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Correcting those who are in opposition needs to be done with humility. Not pride, not a I know it all mentality, not a person that comes across like, well, you better listen to me and listen up or else. Correcting is a word that means to instruct, educate, or give guidance. It's for the heart that they can be restored, that they would come to their senses. The Bible says that it's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. See, I love the heart of our Lord. He's never anxious to cast us off or throw us out. He's so long-suffering with us. Finally, Paul says this, and we close with verse 25 and 26. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen to those that do not know Jesus. Those who have never come to a place of repentance of sin in their lives, they've never surrendered their hearts to the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that they are being held captive by the devil to do his will. Listen, we were there before we got saved. We were being held captive. We were doing the the deeds of the devil, whether we knew it or not, whether we realized it or not. And there are people today that are lost and they're dying in their sin. And they don't even know that the devil has taken them captive. And the Lord's heart here is for them to come to their senses and to repent and turn from their pride and turn from their sin and turn from their hypocrisy and turn to Him to be set free whether they know they're taken captive or not. And our job, as servants of the Lord, is to come to them in humility and share with them the love of Christ. Sadly, I've watched and I've seen it downtown, especially, you know, Christians go out and witness and, and you get into these loud, heated arguments with people. Well, let me tell you something, you heathen dog, and they're sharing their faith. and I'm thinking, man, that's not going to work. That's not good. Well, I'm right, and and they're wrong, and uh, you may be right, but if you deliver it in a wrong way, it's going to undo everything that you're trying to accomplish. You know, I can think of so many people that when they speak, and even when they witness, it's almost as if they're they're mad about what they're doing. They yell at people. Listen, you can share with people lovingly and humbly and and, and reaching them. I'll close with this story. Pastor Greg Lloyd tells it about a time he was in Hawaii, walking down the street, and there in the main drag of Waikiki, he says, there was some guy standing there, out with these big red signs, with red flames painted all over it, It said, the wages of sin is death. And he was yelling and shouting at people, God hates you, God is going to judge you, God is going to get you. Greg says, quote, I watched the people walk by, turning away from him. He would yell at them, finally I walked up to him. Excuse me, I have a question. I just wanted to say that while it is true that the wages of sin is death, as your placard says so boldly, and it's also true that the rest of that verse says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why don't you put that on the other side of your little placard and you can flip it around periodically. You can give them the whole message. The Greg, Greg says, and the guy then told him he was going to hell. So. <laughs> he said, he had no patience for me, he says. Listen, people are being held captive by Satan and all Satan wants to do is to kill, to rob, and to destroy But Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. And as believers, as servants of the Lord, our job is to obey the Lord when He tells us to bring that message of hope to a lost world. Not a message of condemnation, for for God did not send His Son to the world to to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. A message of hope, a message of, of, of sin being forgiven. And if you're here this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you. Did you not leave here without making that commitment to follow Jesus Christ? See, we have a message of hope. That's what God has given to us. Paul has been giving Timothy these six pictures. He says, you're a soldier and your hardship. You're an athlete. Follow the rules so you're not disqualified. You're a farmer. Work hard. You're a worker. Cut it straight. Use scripture. You know, get it right. Rightly dividing the word of God. You're a vessel. Or you're a vessel unto honor. Or dishonor. God wants to use you as a vessel unto honor. Finally, you're a servant. God has entrusted you his word. Are you faithful and courteous in giving it out? It's not just a pastor's job, it's all our jobs to be gentle and love, praying for those to hear and to come into salvation, escape the snare of the devil that he's got them in, to come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity tonight. We're going to have Harvest America. I shared this already. We have Babysitting available. It's kind of, we don't have a lot of flyers this year. We didn't get a lot of advertising out, but we're going to do it. And so if you know someone, invite them out, you know, bring a salad or something and and have it at, you know, six o'clock for that. But we, you know, we want to get the gospel out. And if you're unable to make it tonight, let's be praying for it. This is a huge event. A thousands of people are going to hear the gospel all over our country, not just in Phoenix, not just in our church, in the homes and, and the lives of so many people. We want to see God do an amazing thing. We want a huge harvest. So we can pray. We can be a part of that. But I'd encourage you to come out tonight for it. So let's pray. Father, we do uh, pray, Lord, your blessing upon tonight, Lord. We pray upon, we pray for those that don't know you, Lord, those that are that are held captive by Satan, they're chained in their sin, they're living in darkness. We pray, Lord, through the gospel message being preached, Lord, that they would hear, that they would see, and they would come to repentance and come into a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would give us uh, the opportunity to invite someone tonight, Lord, that they would hear this evening and they would uh, be changed, Lord. If anything, Lord, what a great opportunity to, to, to worship you through the music and, and to hear a great message. Father, we pray your blessing upon that. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here, Lord, we're talking about salvation and, and importance to share faith, but Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to make that commitment to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, touch their heart this morning. Help them to see their need for you. Help them to see that they're, they're nothing without you. There's no hope without you. Help them to see, Lord, that you love them and you want them to, to come to this place of repentance and you want to bless their lives. You want to give them eternal life. All our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? You want to be born again? If that's your desire, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? It's just because